Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a board-certified OBGYN and fertility physician and also co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. With the goal of educating and empowering women, each week on this podcast, I discuss health and fertility and how they relate to your true self. Become a part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to the As A Woman podcast. Today, we are talking about getting a second opinion. When should you get one? How do you go about it? What does it mean? And just overall, what I want you to know about your relationship with your fertility clinic. Before we dive into this, I do want to talk about this week's Fertility in the News. An article was published in Human Reproduction Update, and this was published on November 15th of this year. Temporal Trends in Sperm Count, a Systematic Review and Meta-Regression Analysis of Samples Collected Globally in the 20th and 21st Centuries. I'm going to be talking about this article, but it is in the news because CNN picked this up and they have a headline which says, sperm counts may be declining globally, review finds, adding to debate over male fertility. So over the past 50 years, human sperm counts have dropped by more than 50% around the globe. This is based on this article from Human Reproduction Update. So this is highly concerning for anybody who's in the fertility field. But if we really think if trends continue and we keep seeing a decline in sperm counts, this could have huge implications across the world when it comes to reproduction, because it is also representing decreased health for men. Sperm counts are a good reflection of male health because sperm is made as testosterone is made and testosterone is important for male health. So in this review, An international team looked at over 3,000 studies that looked at different sperm counts published between 2014 and 2020. And this added to a prior review, which was published in 2017, and then they analyzed all the data. Overall, what the researchers found was that sperm counts fell by a little more than 1% per year starting in 1973. And between 1973 and 2018, sperm counts on average had fallen by 52%. And when they looked at certain years, they saw an increase in more recent years of sperm drop. So the initial years, it was a drop of about 1.16% per year. And then in more recent years, it was 2.64%. So it's not just remarkable that it's dropping, but also that it's starting to drop at a higher rate. And that is what is really concerning. When we look at levels, so if we look at 1973, the average sperm count was 104 million sperm. And if we look in 2019, the average was 49 million sperm per milliliter. So these are both normal numbers because normal sperm counts are considered to be over 40 million sperm per milliliter. But you can see that is quite a drop. And what we're really concerned about is if this trend 
is continuing. Of course, this is an observational study, meaning it's observing trends and telling us what's happening. It's not a causation study. So we do not know exactly why this is happening. But if we look at hypothesis, of course, there are some things we're concerned about. So exposures to chemicals such as plastic or phthalates, those can disrupt the development of the male reproductive system when somebody is exposed to those when she's pregnant. So when a mom is pregnant with a male fetus, chemicals are highly important in development of the testes. We know this about eggs too. We think the drop in egg counts that we're seeing might be due to an exposure that mom had when she was pregnant. So pregnancy and what you do in pregnancy is probably super important. Lifestyle is also really important. I think for too long, you all know this if you listen to me, people have ignored lifestyle factors and just focused on Western medicine, but your body is one unit. And we have more and more data that what you put in your body and how you treat your body really impacts your systems overall, including your reproductive system. So having a high level of stress, not getting sleep, eating a lot of ultra processed foods or sugars, having diets that are low in fruits and vegetables and vitamins and nutrients, having high levels of obesity and lack of physical activity. These things harm your health in general, and they can harm your semen quality as well. So even though this study and this article in CNN is not going to tell us exactly what is happening, it is definitely pointing out a trend that is highly concerning and telling us that we need more studies actually to look at what is going on, exposures in pregnancy and lifestyle factors and looking at what happens to them in sperm. And I also think this adds further evidence to the argument that infertility happens to all of us. You can have true, true, multiple causes. We see this all the time. So sometimes I will have a patient come in who says, I'm the issue. I have a lot of pregnancy loss or I don't ovulate. He doesn't even need to get a semen analysis done. And I will always say, yes, we absolutely need all the data. We need all pieces of the puzzle. I think that is something that is extremely important. And I think that this article in this fertility in the news segment is just highlighting the importance of making sure we're really evaluating everybody in their relationship. All right. Well, I want to dive into talking about second opinions. The first thing I want to say about this is that the relationship between you and your fertility doctor and your fertility clinic is an important one. I have had patients leave because they didn't like the clinic, even though they liked me. I've had patients leave because I'm not the right fit for them. And I've had patients that we've dismissed or sent their records elsewhere and we told them it's not a good fit because of the interaction between patients and your staff. So I think it's really important to understand that the relationship goes both ways. Yes, you're the person who is really struggling here, but also I promise you, Every single one of us who works in a fertility clinic, well, at least in my clinic, we do this job because we know what it's like to be where you are and because we know how hard it is and because we want nothing more than to see you through to the end of the journey. But just like any relationship, it's got to work for everybody. So number one, when is it time to get a second opinion? I think first of all, if we say before that, what are you looking for in a clinic? That is going to be important because if you're just choosing randomly, what you might do, you might go to whoever your doctor recommended or your best friend or whatever came up first on Google or whatever's closest to you on the map. Those are all fine reasons, but I want you to take a minute and think about what's important to you because unlike a regular doctor, this relationship is very personal. 
And there are so many different styles and there's a lot of variation in what's happening at different fertility clinics. So you have some clinics that are really part of a bigger corporate entity and they may have to follow certain protocols or be staffed by a certain way. There's other clinics that are physician owned. They are usually, but not always smaller. There's pros and cons to both of them. But I think it's important to understand what is the structure of the clinic, because that's going to give you a little bit of insight into who's really ultimately making certain decisions. I also think it's important to know how does the clinic communicate? This is a huge one. I have worked at fertility practices where it's all telephone. You've got to be by your phone to answer it, to get your results. You have to frantically write them down or you're not going to get them. And I've worked at clinics where it's email or it's portal. Everybody's different. So it's important to know or to ask that. We use a portal, for example. I love it because I'm controlling and I can see every message you send. I can see what my staff is saying to you. I can see if I like it. I can also see how you're treating them. So if you have a portal or an email, because when I've worked at places with email, every email got copied into your medical record. I want you to know that what you're saying, it does become a part of your chart. And so that is good. I like it because I can make sure everybody's telling you the same thing and you're not getting mixed messages. But I think that's important to realize that those communications are public knowledge and a part of that file. I also think if you do not answer the phone, I mean, I do not answer the phone. Like you'd have to literally call me a hundred times to get me to answer the phone. And I don't ever check my voicemail. If I was a patient at a clinic who only called to give me results, that is not going to be really compatible to me personally. But similarly, if you're a phone call person and my clinic gives you results over a portal, that may not work for you. You may not feel comfortable electronically. So I think it's important to understand what the difference is. I also think it's really important to understand, are there multiple physicians and what interaction are you going to have with them? If there's just one physician, okay, how do they balance the work? Are they doing all the ultrasounds? Are there nurses or ultrasound techs who are doing it? What happens if they go out of town? Who is going to be covering? I'm not saying there's a right or wrong, but what is going to happen? You probably want to know. If there's multiple physicians... Does your physician do everything? Is there a doctor of the day model? What is that going to look like? Similarly, is it nurses, ultrasonographers, physicians? Who's doing the ultrasounds? How do you get feedback about your monitoring? That stuff is important. And then who is the admin team? Like, is there a financial person, a scheduling person, a manager? Are there departments or people who do these certain things? Or is it just whoever answers the phone? I've seen all different variations. Is the finance team off-site in a different state or is that outsourced to the network? Does that mean you can actually talk to somebody who understands what you're going through or is it a physical person who's in the office? Okay, so those are just some basic differences in how, you know, clinics may be set up when it comes to communication or structure or who does what. At the end of the day, you're going to go to a clinic and you might live in a state or a town where there's just one fertility option and that's by default where you go. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Apostrophe. With the temperatures starting to warm up, I'm so excited the summer is around the corner and getting ready and looking forward to the summer months. But I know that when I'm outside enjoying nature, I need to pick up supplies to prepare myself for summer adventures. And if you want to get your skin glowing in time for summer, it's time for you to get started with Apostrophe, who is sponsoring this episode. Apostrophe's goal is to help you feel confident in your own skin. 
So whether you're dealing with breakouts, signs of aging, or acne scarring, Apostrophe will help you love the skin you're in. I personally love that you get access to an expert dermatology team, a tailored treatment plan. It's simple to sign up for your first visit, and there is no in-person appointment or trip to the pharmacy needed. We have a special deal for our audience. Get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash A-A-W when you use our code A-A-W. That's a savings of $15. This code is only available to our listeners. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash A-A-W and click get started. Then use the code A-A-W at sign up and you'll get your first visit for only $5. Thank you, Apostrophe, for sponsoring this episode. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Ritual. Did you know that women were excluded from clinical research policy by federal law until 1993? But women belong in scientific research. They're essential and Ritual knows this. I choose Ritual Multivitamin every day because it is easy to take and I know that I am getting high quality and traceable ingredients in a clean and bioavailable forms. In fact, Ritual conducted a university-led human clinical trial for their Essential for Women 18 Plus multivitamin to assess its efficacy and the results showed increase in vitamin D levels by 43% and omega-3 DHA levels by 41% in just 12 weeks. No mind shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin that you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com slash A-A-W. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash A-A-W for 25% off. Thank you, Ritual. When do you know you need to get a second opinion? And what should you do when that happens? First and foremost, if you are not getting what you need from the relationship, if you are feeling like your doctor or nurse or whoever you're seeing is not taking you seriously, if you're not ever getting a response back, if you're being you know, gaslit or being treated poorly, that's not a good fit. For whatever reason, nobody should be treating you that way, but for whatever reason it might be happening, that's just a sign that this is not working for you. If you also constantly don't trust your doctor, then you should have a big question mark why. And I'm not talking about advocating for your own care. I completely want everybody to advocate for their own care and understand why a doctor may recommend something or not recommend something. But if you challenge everything and you truly aren't sure that your doctor's doing the right thing, that's really a big red flag because if your doctor says XYZ is a must or this is the only way or this is something that I only feel comfortable with and you aren't sure about that, that's completely your right. That's a red flag. Go get another opinion. Go somewhere else. Because very rarely in medicine will I ever say this is the only option for you. But when I say it, I'm speaking from personal experience. I really mean it. And I'm always happy to explain why, but when somebody comes back at everything I'm saying and they're like, no, no, and just pushing me, that makes me also feel really uncomfortable as a physician. Like if you don't trust my medical experience and expertise and the training I've done, that's okay, but you shouldn't be my patient anymore, right? And that should be your own red flag. Why don't I trust what this doctor is saying? And of course, ask your questions, do your own research. But if it sits with you and you don't feel comfortable with it, then you should go somewhere else. 
Also, if you're not getting results that you expect, I think this is a two-part thing because do you have expectations set appropriately? I have seen so many people go through IVF or IUI cycles, never being told what their odds of success were or their outcome, how many eggs they were hoping to get, how many normal embryos they might get for that cycle. I tell every person this. If we have an IVF consult, I'm going to take your age, your medical factors, your AMH, your antral follicle count. We're going to sit down and say, if everything falls average, and of course, it doesn't always fall average. Sometimes you do better. Sometimes you do worse. I would expect zero to one normal embryos, three to four normal embryos, whatever it may be. But I'm telling you what I expect. When somebody just says you should do IVF and they don't give you any idea of how many eggs you're going to get, how many normal embryos that would make, how many cycles you might need to do, that is highly, highly concerning. So not setting any expectations is a red flag or your percentage of success with an IUI or an OV induction cycle. You should know that. And then if somebody does give you something and you're falling well off of it, you really should wonder why. Now, I will tell you this. We learn so much about you in an IVF cycle. And almost always, once I apply what I think will happen and what science tells me is the best option for you and you do a cycle and then we sit down together, I can tweak that cycle to make it even better. And I know patients will tell you who've gone through multiple cycles that we tend to do better and better when it comes to embryos. So yes, if you fall way off of expectations, it might be time to get a second opinion at that moment. But here's where my real red flags are because ultimately every body is different. If there's no plan, just, hey, you need to do it again. There's no, we would change anything or let's have a meeting or a consult about this. That's a red flag. Unless that was a plan all along. Hey, you got zero to one normal embryos. That was the expectation. You want multiple kids. We got to do it again. That's perfectly acceptable. But if I thought you'd get three or four normal embryos, you got zero. And then you hear from my team, just do it again. Am I doing anything different? Are we changing anything? Why would we expect something to be different this time? You deserve that, whether it's in a message, an email, a phone call, or a consult. I don't really care how somebody communicates with you, but you need to know, is there going to be something different done to help get a different result? And if your team doesn't have a plan for that, that's where I start to get highly concerned. And I will see patients go to physicians, even here in town, and they'll just cycle over and over again, and they'll make no changes. They'll do the same thing and they get no different outcome. And that is so heartbreaking to see because, you know, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting something different. We need to have plans and we need to adjust and we need to personalize our care to you. I will tell you a lot of us do that and that's why we do this job. That's what makes it fun. It'd be so boring to do the same thing every day. A doctor cannot function alone. We require on our administrative team and our clinical team to help you have a family. And if the relationship with either of those is not working, it's not a good fit. If you don't have similar communication styles or you don't have expectations set for the cycle, who's going to be doing what, what should you get? That's not great. If you have a cycle that doesn't perform at expectations, is there a game plan for what to change or is it doing the same thing? That's not great. And sometimes you can love everything about a doctor, a clinic, and it might be time to get another opinion because you're not achieving success, whatever that means. You're making lots of changes, but you can't find normal embryos. You're doing lots of transfers and 
There's nothing else to add or to change. I've told patients this. I feel like, you know, we've done five transfers. We've walked through all these different things. I don't have anything different to add to this. I think it's time for you to go see somebody else and get a different perspective because maybe I'm missing something. I'm not so prideful to think that I'm the absolute end all be all. We're all very different, have different experiences. So sometimes your doctor may tell you this isn't a good fit or I don't have anything else to offer or it's time to go somewhere else. Now, if you're choosing to get a second opinion, fantastic. Some things to think about. You should not do this while you are in treatment. I know fertility is time sensitive, but I've had patients come and get a second opinion with me in the middle of an IVF cycle with somebody else. I can't make any changes. I can't change what you're already doing. You're already financially invested. And in fact, I'll end that call or that visit because that's also not fair to your current treatment team. They deserve to be able to manage you. You trusted them. You paid them the money. They deserve that. So when somebody has an appointment with me and they're in the middle of treatment somewhere else, No, I'll say, hey, finish this out and then send me the records. Also, I cannot adequately give you a second opinion without the honest, real records from the clinic. So often people will fight this. They'll call and say, we want a second opinion. Okay, great. Fill out this record release for your clinic. No, I have my records. Almost 100% of the time, your records are not complete, meaning there's certain things from the lab or blood work or monitoring that you do not have. And maybe that doesn't seem like a big deal. And I understand you don't want to pay your clinic or wait for your clinic to send them. That's so frustrating. However, that stuff matters. Like what your estrogen was and how big your follicles were and how many fertilized and what happened in the lab. And I'm going to make major decisions based on that data and I need it. Maybe you do have your complete record and that's fantastic. A clinic should be able to look it over. But it's also not serving you to get a second opinion and yet not give that person all the data they need. So you should get all your records and you should want the new doctor to have them all and you should not be in the middle of a cycle. That way you can get a really good assessment of everything. I also think you should not get a second opinion from anyone or anywhere that you would not travel to to take care of you. This is considered like blessing someone else's plan and I will tell you the fertility community is really small. So if you schedule an appointment with me and you're like, oh, I have this fertility doctor in New York and here's their cycle, I just want you to tell me if it's good or not. I won't. Nobody will. Or most of us won't because that's not how medicine works, especially in this field. If you don't trust their plan, you should schedule a second opinion with someone in somewhere you would go for care. You should get the cycle and the information about what they would do, and then you could make a decision on what suits you best. But you can't similarly come to me and say, well, I sent all my records to Dr. Jelani in Chicago, and I bring Ruhi up because I love her. And she said, I need to do X, Y, Z, but I live here in Austin, so I want you to do it. I'm not going to practice medicine that way either. I am not somebody who just practices somebody else's plan. And most fertility doctors are not going to do that because we spent years gaining this knowledge and the years we spent in the field, we've garnered expertise and that expertise, meaning if I'm just following what somebody else says to do, I don't really know how to manage it. And you'd be better served to go to Chicago and see Dr. Jelani and let her manage the whole cycle if you relate to her better or you like her plan better. So that's fine too. She's amazing. And again, I just use her as an example. But the point is, That idea that I can just 
get a plan and then I'll go to somewhere closer. This is a really personal field. And this field is really, really hands-on. So it's not like, let me just get the recipe for success and then take it to my doctor. Because it's really not fair to anybody involved. And you and your care is what's going to be sacrificed among the way. And now a word from one of our sponsors, Quince. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. And luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. The best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands, but Quince partners directly with top factories, cutting out the cost of the middleman, passing the saving to us, and only working with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices. I personally cannot wait to wear my cute tan linen set this summer. So it's your turn to get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash A-A-W for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash A-A-W to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash A-A-W. Thank you, Quince. I also think that when you're getting a second opinion, you should really be mindful. This is not a warning. This is just a FYI. The front desk team, the scheduling team, the practice manager, the financial team, man, they are like the core of a practice and they control so much about what happens and it does not help you to be rude to them or to be mean to them. It doesn't do you any favors. You actually need and want them on your side and they want to be on your side. But if you treat them like dirt or you bully them or you're rude to them, And then when you do need help, that time because your schedule is really hard or because this can't work or because you don't understand something, you're going to want them to be able to bend over backwards for you. So why treat them so poorly? I know sometimes they give you answers you don't want. Fertility care is expensive. Wait times can be long. Our schedule sometimes is inflexible because we have IVF and certain times are blocked out. So you may want to see me at 11 a.m. on a Wednesday. It may not happen. but that's not their fault. They are doing their job. You want to see me ASAP before your next cycle starts at the competing practice, but I'm making you wait to get all your records. They can't override that. Don't be mean to them. I also want you to know that I've had patients leave for a multitude of reasons, and I'm still very close with them and love them dearly. It doesn't mean the end of a relationship. I've got invited to baby showers and birthday parties for patients who I didn't do their embryo transfer that got them pregnant, or they left me because something of the clinic, it just wasn't a good fit, or their insurance, or something else. And that's okay. I am speaking up myself in my clinic, but most of us now are mature enough in this field to understand that we don't have to be everything to everybody. And just because you might go somewhere else, we still care about you a ton. We want what's best for you. That's what we wanted this whole time. I think most of the time when this happened, I always appreciated somebody giving honest feedback. Just, I own a practice. I like to know, hey, I love you, but the clinical team just really wasn't working for me and how we communicated. So I want to try somewhere else to see if that relationship can be better. I wish you the best. Totally. I mean it. Or sometimes it is, hey, I love everything about you in this place. I just need to get another opinion because we're not having success. 
the same, you guys. And similarly, when I've told people, we are so excited that you have all these embryos, but it is time for you to go elsewhere. We still want the very, very best for you. So you can do it in secret, but you also don't have to do it in secret. You can call and say, I'm going to get some other opinions. Thanks for everything you've done. Or I do have this little feedback. I'd love to give the practice director, but how can I get my record sent? And just be an adult and professional about it. And that's going to benefit everybody the best. If you do that in the middle of a cycle, do not be surprised if whatever clinic you're actively seeing says, are you canceling your cycle? Most of us do not send records out in the middle of actively treating you because for the reason I first said, it doesn't make sense. They can't even evaluate you. They don't have all the data. Probably more than half my patients are second opinions. So I see people on the opposite end of this all the time. Get all your records. Be as detailed as you can in your new patient paperwork. More information is better. Be patient. Understand that even though you understand the fertility world, that clinics have different wait times and you're going to be a new patient to someone that does take time to establish. Do not be in active cycles. Really think through your questions. I love when I see, I mean, personally, I love a second opinion because I love data oh, and I love making tweaks to protocol. So it's just so fulfilling to me to be able to see something, know what I would change differently and be able to get a different result. Love it. I also love that patients are usually so educated. I mean, you're a little bit further down the road. I hate that you've had the experience that whatever it is, you're now getting this new opinion. But I do enjoy the fact that you're asking really educated questions. So write your questions out ahead of time. Know what they're going to be. Prioritize them. And ask some questions about the clinic or the structure or the communication because ultimately those things are going to matter to you also. At the end of the day, getting the information you need and having a good relationship with your clinic and your doctor, I think is so important. There's no guarantee in fertility. We have seen all these stories lately of Jennifer Aniston and other celebrities coming out and talking about how they went through and didn't have success. More than anything, that should tell you all the money, all the fame can't result in the outcome we always want. So at the end of the day, trusting the team who is on this journey with you is the number one most important thing. And you deserve that. You deserve to have a team that you trust and a doctor whose opinion you believe and who you know they're looking out for you in the best way possible. And hopefully that results in a child in your arms. All right. Well, I am now going to answer some of your questions. Every week we do for fertility's sake. This is our weekly Q&A where you can ask questions on Mondays on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, or you can call in to the as a woman voicemail. I am going to be recording a new Q&A from your voicemail question soon. So the voicemail is 657-229-3672. Again, that is 657-229-3672. So if we go over some of this week's questions, do you recommend ICSI with normal sperm counts? ICSI is ICSI, stands for intracytoplasmic sperm injection. It is a process with IVF where you actually pick up a sperm and you put it into an egg. Now, studies have shown that when the absence of male factor, you should not feel required to do ICSI. So you can do what's called conventional fertilization, which is where you have a Petri dish and you escort sperm on top of it and you let them get in there naturally. The problem is a semen analysis does not always reflect the functionality of the sperm. And so sometimes what we find is that it looked fine. There were good counts. They moved fine. They were fine shaped, but they don't have the ability to fertilize the eggs. And that's why you have infertility. 
And that's really devastating to go through the whole IVF process and find that out. Also, if you're doing certain types of genetic testing, it might be better to do ICSI because the outside of the embryo is not going to get contaminated with other sperm DNA, which can happen from conventional fertilization. So the vast majority of my patients now do ICSI, even with normal sperm parameters. There are some instances where we don't, but I think it's important to have the discussion. Ultimately, if we have a clear other indication for the infertility, like PCOS or blocked tubes, I feel more comfortable not doing ICSI, but with unexplained or a male factor, that's a lot more nerve wracking to me. And I always counsel, I could pull out the dish and we could have failed fert and we got to do it all over again. There's not much we can do. You can try rescue ICSI, which means the next day you try to fertilize them, but it is much, much less successful than ICSI at the proper time. All right, how long after IVF baby to wait before trying to transfer a frozen embryo? So after you have a baby with IVF, every clinic's gonna be a little bit different. What we do is we don't like to transfer an embryo until the 12-month mark from when you had your baby. That doesn't mean we won't start prepping things before then so we can make sure the uterus is healed up and everything looks good and get your cycle started. But we really want that uterus to be healed. That way we have the highest chance of a wonderful outcome with this second baby. Now. If you need IVF again, like if you don't have any more embryos, then that's a different circumstance. And we usually can do a start an IVF cycle about six months after. You can't do one before. In a pregnancy, your uterus gets really big, your ovaries are up really high. We need that uterus and those ovaries to drop back into the pelvis to do IVF. So six months is going to be the minimum after you give birth that we could stimulate the ovaries again. But I usually don't like to do a transfer until that 12-month mark. Is it okay to continue to try to conceive naturally while going through IVF? I actually get this question all the time, but the answer is really no. Most of the time, because we're putting you on different like hormone suppressants and there's different times when you can't have sex and you're not going to get pregnant because we're overriding things. Or if you do get pregnant, it might actually put the pregnancy at harm. So once you make the decision to do IVF and you get a calendar or you're starting a protocol... You're done trying naturally. Now, you can make embryos and take a break and try naturally, and maybe those embryos could be saved for a future baby. That's fine and different, but you can't really keep on trying throughout the cycle. And in fact, there's many times where you can't have intercourse. Male factor can varicocele affect fertility, have a history of three early miscarriages. You know, a varicocele is like a varicose vein of the scrotum. So if we think about the fact that the testes are in the scrotum because it is outside the body and the scrotum keeps them at a cooler temperature because the core temp of the body is much hotter. If you have a varicose vein or a dilated vein, what is happening is blood is pooling in that area and blood is warm. And that warmth is not good for the testes for sperm development. Just like sitting in a hot tub or sauna or having your laptop on your lap is not good either. This can result in a decrease in sperm production and an increase in sperm abnormalities in shape and potentially an increase in DNA damage. So there's different stages of varicocele. Some are minor. Some probably don't matter. Some probably matter a lot. There is sometimes debate on if taking it out is the recommendation, if that will help or not help. Ultimately, it's going to depend on if it's causing pain or discomfort what the semen analysis is, and what the fertility treatment plan is, which probably does depend on a lot of female factors like age, ovarian reserve, tubal status, and things like that. But certainly would want to talk to a urologist about if that was indicated to get the varicocele removed. What is the impact of a chemical pregnancy? Does it count as a miscarriage since it's so early? 
A chemical pregnancy, by definition, is a pregnancy where you get a positive pregnancy test, whether it's blood or it is a urine test, but then the pregnancy is never seen on ultrasound. So you lose the pregnancy before you get to the stage where you can see a sac or anything on ultrasound. This might be a positive pregnancy test and you'll bleed a few days later. This might mean a blood positive test that then it goes away weeks later. Either way, it's really important for you to disclose all of these to your care team. They do count as losses. They might be really abnormal if you have a high number of them. And I sometimes do things differently and recommend different tests. So they are called a chemical pregnancy. They're an early spontaneous loss. They definitely count and definitely you should bring them up. All right. And last question. I am six weeks pregnant, but zero symptoms. I only read about everyone having all these symptoms. Is this normal? I call this being a pregnancy unicorn, meaning I've had patients who feel nothing. It is so concerning to them because they're waiting for the sore breast, the sensitivity to smell, the nausea, the fatigue, and they don't have any of it. That's okay. Everybody is very, very different and unique. I understand that sometimes you want symptoms in a weird way just to know that things are normal, but it can be very normal to also just feel nothing different. This is how some people get really far in pregnancy and have no idea that they are pregnant. So do not worry, tell your OBGYN and maybe you can get an early ultrasound if you're concerned. But ultimately, I see this in a lot of people. So nothing is inherently wrong just because you do not have symptoms. All right, y'all, I hope this episode was helpful. Again, if you want to ask your own questions for fertility's sake, you can call the voicemail 657-229-3672 or you can ask every Monday on Instagram at Natalie Crawford, MD. Thanks, friends. Thank you all for listening to As a Woman. It would mean so much if you could rate, review, and follow the podcast to be notified of new episodes every Sunday. I hope you learned something new, and I hope you share it with someone in your life. Be sure to follow along on Instagram at Natalie Crawford MD, and check out the YouTube channel Natalie Crawford MD. If you're interested in becoming a patient, you can also follow Fora Fertility. I'm so thrilled to have you here, part of the community that amplifies others as a woman. 